We live in God's world. He spoke it into existence and constructed it according to his design for his purposes. That means in order for us to make sense of how the world works, we need to understand the architect and builder who put the whole thing together. One of the benefits of Psalm 119 is that the psalmist looks at the word of God through many different angles to give us a fuller understanding of it. He declares who God is, how he works, and how we're to live in this world that God made. While the psalmist tells us about the word of God, he is also painfully honest with his own struggles in living in this world. He faces opposition and experiences affliction because he follows God. He's weary from grief. But even in the midst of these difficulties, he continues to trust in God's promises to him. Even though living with God will bring difficulty, God will be his sufficient provision throughout his whole life. In God's world, part of his provision for his people is his faithful love. God's faithful love sustains his people in loving and obeying him. God is committed to loving his people throughout their lives and on into eternity. This morning as we work through verses 57 through 64 of Psalm 119, we'll look at the passage under two different headings. The first one is living in God's sufficient provision, which is verses 57 through 60. And the second is living in God's faithful love, which is verses 61 through 64. The psalmist begins in verse 57 by saying, The Lord is my portion. I have promised to keep your words. When he talks about God being his portion, what he's saying is that God is his sufficiency. Everything he needs, God supplies. Everything. This includes his physical needs and spiritual needs as well. He doesn't need to look to anyone else for anything he needs. God is his sufficient supplier. God is our sufficient supplier too. God provides what we need day by day, and he'll provide for us now and forevermore. His provision is comprehensive and never failing. There isn't anyone else who can provide all we need. When we think about God's provision, the first things that tend to come into our minds are basic needs, like food, clothing, and shelter. God provides all these for us, but he also provides for our spiritual needs. God provides us knowledge so that we can know and walk with him. He provides us instruction so that can, he, we can learn what he requires of his people. He provides us hope so that we have a future to look forward to. He provides us community so that we can support and build each other up in our faith in God. We'll talk more about our God-fearing friends a little bit later in the second half of the sermon. God's provision for us is informed by his design and creation of us. God is our sufficient supplier because he made us in his image and knows exactly what we need. When Adam and Eve rebelled against him, God already knew how to meet their need for forgiveness. It's comforting to know that God knows us better than we know ourselves and is actively working 
to provide us what we need from the beginning to the end. In opposition to God, the world tells us that we need to be self-reliant. We're supposed to identify our own problems, that is, if we have any, and we're also responsible for solving them ourselves. The fundamental flaw in the world's approach is that it wants to remove God from the equation. Trying to remove God from the world and creatures he created just simply doesn't work. Since God made the world, it functions the way he prescribes. That includes God being the one who has to tell us what the real problems are in the world and how they are fixed. Without God, humanity can recognize that something is wrong in the world. It's not hard to look at your newsfeed and see there is something wrong in the world. But we can't grasp how to fix it. God graciously tells us what our biggest problem is, which is our sin against him. Sin blinds us from seeing God and desiring him. This means the only way anything gets better is if God acts. We would be completely hopeless unless God acted, which he did by sending his son Jesus. God provided us forgiveness for our sin through his son Jesus Christ. That was what we desperately needed but couldn't realize on our own. Placing our faith in Jesus not only forgives all our sin, it changes our relationship with God. We go from being his enemies to being his people. God supplies his people an understanding of who he is and what he requires. The psalmist knows that God provides sufficiently for him and he is to respond to God with obedience. Having received God's sufficient provision, the psalmist is a responsive recipient. He responds by promising to keep God's words. He responds by promising to obey God. Why does the psalmist feel compelled to respond to God's provision with a commitment to obey? Because he's learned from God's word that what God requires his people is that they obey him. God's word is part of God's sufficient supply for his people. Obeying God is one of the ways his people respond to his provision for them. We all know what it feels like to be taken for granted. We give of ourselves to someone else, and they act like we should be grateful for the opportunity to give them something. There's no recognition of the gift. There's no appreciation for the value of the gift. They just take it and go on their way. We aren't to take God's provision for granted. God gives us what we need, but he also expects us to respond appropriately to him. We respond appropriately by obeying God and thanking him for everything he gives us. Then we continue to follow the pattern the psalmist provides us in the next verse. In verse 58, the psalmist writes, I have sought your favor with all my heart, be gracious to me according to your promise. Since God is our sufficient supplier, we go back to him again and again. We bring all our needs to him. We seek his favor with all our hearts. We want God to show us his favor and to provide us good things. We know we depend on him for every good thing that we need. There is no one else other than God who can really provide what we need. 
we certainly can't provide everything we need for ourselves. Other people can't provide what we need either and will always let us down because they aren't God. They don't have his character or power, so looking to them will only bring disappointment. Instead, we go to God and trust in him alone to show us his favor. We approach God in humility over and over again, knowing that he provides for us because of his grace and promises. He's made promises to care for his people, and we can completely depend on those promises. At the same time, we have to be on guard against taking God for granted. God is not a genie to grant our wishes, but a divine being for us to love and obey. Since God is our portion and we're so needy, we can wonder, does God get tired of providing for all of our needs? He doesn't. He loves us and knows that we are completely dependent on him. Because he's gracious and good, he gives us what we need so that we can rejoice in him and glorify him. God knows that we must come to him and he welcomes us as his own children that he loves and provides for. God graciously provides for our needs and we respond in obedience to him. Seeing the pattern of how God acts to save us and then calls us to respond to him reminds us of the gospel. Jesus took the initiative to take on a human body, to serve God perfectly during his time here on earth, to lay down his life by dying on the cross, and to be resurrected by God. When God raised Jesus from the dead, he showed that he accepted Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf. Jesus' sacrifice washes away all the guilt of our sin against God. We then respond to this incredible gift by putting our faith in Jesus and following after him. We follow Jesus by dying to our old self so that we can walk in new life. We die to sin being our master. We are given new life through Jesus that changes how we live. And we no longer live for ourselves. We become God's servants. We no longer serve sin. We are now practicing righteousness. And then when we're tempted to sin, and even when we give in to it, we're called to put that sin to death and to turn from it back to God. In the midst of a sinful world, we get to display the glory of God by showing how he saves. We get to tell people about Jesus, our new master. We invite God's grace toward us through all our new life is the result of God's grace toward us through Jesus Christ. We don't ever move on from needing God's grace. We grow in our constant dependence upon it. The psalmist speaks more about how we are responsive recipients to God's sufficient supply in verses 59 through 60. I thought about my ways and turned my steps back to your decrees. I hurried, not hesitating to keep your commands. God being our portion changes how we live. Not only do we promise to keep his words, but we also evaluate when we need to turn from sin back to God. Repentance is not a one-time only event that takes place when you put your faith in Jesus. The more we grow in our understanding of God's word, the more we'll see how short we fall 
of Jesus' example. But this is never a reason to despair. Instead, it's a reason to keep on repenting of our sins and growing in our obedience to God. To be clear, our growing obedience to God isn't what saves us. Faith in Jesus' work on our behalf is what saves us. But growing in obedience to God is a natural outcome of his saving us. Ever since God gave us new life in Jesus, we have the ability to obey him. And without a doubt, God expects us to obey him. Our obedience is a right response to receiving his grace. The psalmist wants us to know that we must not be complacent responders to God's grace. The great gifts God has given us should compel us to overflow with thanksgiving and have a burning desire to grow in obedience to him. We want to be like Jesus. We want to faithfully serve God more and more, all because we love him. We know that we were hopelessly lost in sin. We know that he reached out and pulled us from our hopeless situation to know and obey him. So with hearts full of love and appreciation for God giving us what we never deserved, we respond with obedience. We spend time and energy thinking about what God has commanded us to do and where we need to turn back to him. Not only are we to respond to God's grace with obedience, according to the psalmist, we're to hurry up and obey. Our obedience should be happy and flow out of our gratitude for all God has done for us. It should be without hesitation. If you ever find yourself hesitating to obey God, take a step back and ask why. Are you finding fault with God's provision for you? Are you questioning God's goodness? Are you holding on to a sin that God has directed you to turn away from? The psalmist is willing to think about his ways to see where he needs to turn back to God's decrees. Then he turns back quickly without hesitation. Some of our sinful desires, frankly, want to stick around. And sometimes, if we're honest, we want them to stick around. We're used to them, and they can seem like they provide us something that God doesn't. We have to realize that part of our being responsive recipients to God's provision means continually being transformed in our thinking. We need to see things the way God sees them and be willing to turn away from the sin that we have grown accustomed to. When we're struggling to turn away from sin, it's a good time for us to reach out to other brothers and sisters in Christ. Share your struggles and ask them to join with you in prayer that you would quickly obey God. We need each other to remind us of the truth when we're tempted to believe a lie. I know there are sins that all of us really struggle with and have for a long time. Don't hear anything I'm saying as piling onto the guilt you already feel over your sin. But I do want you to hear what the Word of God says. If you have a besetting sin, don't be weary with the fight against it. Keep strenuously working to put it to death. Spend time reflecting on the grace of God that has been shown to you through Jesus. Remind yourself that God is your master, 
not this sin and get support in fighting against the sin by having people that will pray with you and help you remember the truth about who you are in Jesus. Also, I just encourage all of us this week to take some time to review some passages from the New Testament that encourage us in putting sin to death. I have three of them. Colossians 3, 5 through 10, Romans 8, 12 through 13, and 1 Peter 4, 1 through 3. Don't hesitate in keeping God's commands. Know that God is for you, and part of his provision for you is giving you what you need to grow in obedience to him by putting sin to death. After the psalmist writes of living in God's sufficient provision, he turns to living in God's faithful love in verses 61 through 64. God's faithful love enables the psalmist to persevere in the midst of temptation from wicked people. In verse 61, the psalmist writes, Though the ropes of the wicked were wrapped around me, I did not forget your instruction. The ropes of the wicked being wrapped around the psalmist mean that the wicked were tugging at the psalmist to forsake God. They want him to join with them in their rebellion against God. Those who are opposed to God aren't satisfied with rebelling against God themselves. They want others to follow with them in their rebellion. They take particular delight in causing those who belong to God to stumble. While the wicked wrap the psalmist with their ropes to pull him away from God, what protects him is remembering God's instruction. God's instruction reminds him of what God says and who God is. It also teaches him that the end of the wicked is destruction and separation from God. The tugging temptation of the wicked loses its attractiveness when we see it in the light of God's word. Instead of being something that is exhilarating or exciting, we see the temptation for what it is, an invitation to go down the path of death away from God's good provision. Even when we know that obeying a temptation to sin leads us away from God's good provision, that doesn't mean that the tug of temptation won't keep pulling at us. We may have strong desires for what the wicked offer, but in that moment of temptation, we must count the cost of following the wicked in the rebellion against God. We must remember the sacrifice of Jesus and desire to love him more than what we're being tempted by. Loving God leads us to obey him, so we know that we won't show our love for him by turning away from him. We face constant pressure to change what we believe in order to be more acceptable to the world. The world thinks we're foolish for holding on to God's standards, and they freely tell us so. We need to pay particular attention to how these pressures are affecting our kids and talk with them not only about the pressures they feel, but what are the temptations that they're facing? We need to be praying for each other, including our kids, that God would comfort us and provide us perseverance in faith. This is one of the reasons why knowing God's instruction is so important in overcoming the tug of the wicked. Knowing what God has said, discerning between what is right and wrong, and practicing righteousness strengthens us to turn away from the temptation to sin. It also gives us boldness as we face the lies of wicked people because we know that no matter how loud they yell,
what they say doesn't change who God is or what he said. God has given us instruction so that we can truly know what is right in his sight. God's word also encourages us that while we face temptation, we don't have to give into it. Part of what encourages us to continue in following after Jesus is knowing that he will return to righteously judge every person according to God's word. Knowing Jesus will judge in righteousness is particularly comforting when we see how destructive evil is. Rather than despair over evil, we can thank God that he will judge the world through Jesus. Because the psalmist delights in God's judgments, he says in verse 62, I rise at midnight to thank you for your righteous judgments. Sleep is a wonderful provision of God. And for those that don't regularly get enough of it, the loss of sleep has serious repercussions. However, according to the psalmist, there is something worth disrupting our sleep for. And that is thanking God for his righteous judgments. Thanking God isn't only a daytime activity, but something we as his people can participate in both day and night. There can even be times when we wake from sleep in order to thank God for his righteous judgments. What is it about God's righteous judgments that would cause us to forego sleep to thank him for them? First, God's righteous judgments mean that he will hold everyone accountable for their actions. No one will get away with the evil things they do. Either they will put their faith in Jesus so that his righteousness is credited to their account, or they will pay for their own sins through eternal punishment. God knows the thoughts and intentions of every person's heart. All see people do evil things without being able to pull the wool over God's eyes. We may see people do evil things without being punished today, but they are on the clock and their time is coming. Second, God's righteous judgments mean that he will judge justly according to his standards. Everyone deserves his wrath for their sin but some have put their faith in Jesus. Those who have faith in Jesus have their sins forgiven because Jesus is the one who paid for them. God justifies his people by taking their sin and casting it on Jesus so that they are declared righteous. We have so much to be thankful for when we consider God's righteous judgments. We deserved eternal punishment for our sin, but God gave Jesus to rescue us from punishment by paying for our sins on the cross. This gracious gift is something we can never pay God back for, but we can thank him for it at any time of the day or night. God's faithful love toward us affects us personally, but it also affects our relationships with each other. The psalmist continues in verse 63, I am a friend to all who fear you, to those who keep your precepts. Being one of God's children means that we fear God and keep his precepts. It also means that all other people who fear God and keep his precepts are our friends. Notice that the psalmist calls out that he is a friend to those that both fear God and obey him. We should be discerning that not all people who proclaim the name of Jesus actually obey him. But with the psalmist, we also need to recognize that all who do truly fear God and obey his precepts are our friends in Christ. The universal church is made up of many groups around the world who all worship God and place their faith in Jesus. 
we know that we aren't the only ones who love and obey God. And we want to see all of God's people being built up in their faith in him. We're part of the body of Christ and have friendship with other believers through our shared faith. Please notice what the psalmist has in common with these friends. They fear God and they obey God by keeping his precepts. Having God in common overcomes natural differences that we may have with other people. When God first started building the church, he united Jews and Gentiles into one body in Jesus. These groups that previously had nothing in common found a common bond in Jesus that overcame their previous differences. Both Jews and Gentiles had to leave things behind in order to follow Jesus together. What makes us friends with other believers is not that we agree on every possible issue. What makes us friends is our fear of God and obedience to his commands. When we contend together for our common faith, our unity in Jesus overcomes our differences. We thank God that he has blessed us with unity at Christ Church Selwood. It's a work of God in our midst that we're not only thankful for, but we don't take it for granted. We pray for God to keep providing us unity in Jesus and that we'll bear with one another as we all follow him. Just because the psalmist calls everyone who fears God and keeps his precepts his friends doesn't mean that we aren't supposed to have friends who don't fear or obey God. These are the people that we're to proclaim the gospel to. What that usually means in our city is getting to know people over a long period of time in order to have an opportunity to tell them about Jesus. How can we be good friends to each other in Christ? First, by fearing God and keeping his precepts. Second, by willingly accepting each other in spite of our differences because of the common faith in Jesus that we share. Third, by engaging in building each other up, bearing with one another in our weaknesses, and provoking each other to love and good works. And finally, fourth, by looking to each other for a pattern of obedience to God rather than expecting perfect obedience from each other on every single occasion. We have been extended great grace by God. And we are to be people that forgive each other as God has forgiven us. Since every person except Jesus has sinned, there should be no surprise that each of us sins and has struggles with sin. But we should all be growing in putting sin to death and supporting each other through that process. We share our sins and struggles with each other so that we can support each other the process of growing in obedience to God. The psalmist ends this section of the psalm by writing, Lord, the earth is filled with your faithful love. Teach me your statutes. This world is full of God's faithful love. Sometimes we may lose sight of that, but it's always true. God is actively working to accomplish his purposes, which include keeping his promises to save and sustain us in our relationship with him. No matter what wicked people may do, they can't stop God from accomplishing his plans or changing his character.
God made this world. He's never lost control of it. And he shows his faithful love to his people all the time. While the wicked continue to rebel against God, they haven't won and they never will. In light of God's faithful love filling the whole earth, the psalmist makes one final request from God. Teach me your statutes. Even with what he's already learned about God, there's always more to understand and know about him. Learning about God is an ongoing process that begins when he draws us to himself and continues throughout the rest of our lives. We can't ever get to the end of learning about our infinite God. But we can ask him to keep teaching us so that we would know him more and more. Knowing God is what we were made for. So the psalmist asks that as part of God's faithful love filling the earth, that God would keep teaching him. In reflecting on this section of Psalm 119, we see what it looks like to live in God's sufficient provision and his faithful love. We're instructed on how to look only to God to be our sufficient provision and seek his favor with all our hearts. We trust in God to provide us what we need based on his grace and his promises. We respond to Jesus' work by laying down our own lives, taking up our crosses, and following him. This includes evaluating our lives to determine if we've strayed from God so that we can hurry to return back to him. God is our portion. Jesus is our savior and brother. We are God's children and put our faith and hope in him. The world may think what we believe is foolishness, but God does not. God has put his wisdom on display through the perfect saving work of Jesus. He has provided us his instruction to keep us from giving into the temptations of the wicked. We have reason to thank God day and night for his righteous judgments. We have friends who fear and obey God that we work with together to serve him. God's faithful love endures forever and is active in the world we're living in today. Even during the times, it's harder for us to see it. May we keep asking God to work in and through us so that we would rejoice in him in every circumstance. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are our provision and that your faithful love fills the earth. Father, we ask that you would help us to grow in our experience of your provision and in our experience of your faithful love. May you keep reminding us of the truth. May you keep bringing us back to yourself when we stray. And Lord, we ask that you would help us as your church to support and encourage and build up one another in faith. Father, we thank you for Jesus and we thank you for his perfect work in order to save us. And we ask, Father, that we would be responsive recipients of the grace and salvation you have given us in your Son. May we grow in our obedience and love for you. Lord, may we faithfully follow after you. And please, Lord, may you strengthen us to trust in you and to depend upon you for all that you've given us to do. Lord, as we look to anyone else, turn our eyes back to you, and may we never grow tired of coming to you and asking for you to provide for our needs, even though you're the one that we must come to all the time. We thank you for your grace. We rejoice in you for your goodness, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.